Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we interview journalists and think tank types about topical global issues. And we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries who discuss their life and career. Burundi is in the midst of a deepening political crisis that has observers very worried about the prospects of widespread violence. At issue is the decision by the president to seek a constitutionally dubious third term in office. So far, dozens of people have been killed in protests in the last few weeks, and some 60,000 people have fled to neighboring Rwanda. The crisis in Burundi is a dangerous combination of political strife and ethnic divisions in a country that is no stranger to civil war and atrocity. On the line to help me understand the roots of the crisis and what can be done to mitigate it is Jonathan Rosen. He's a freelancer based in Kigali, Rwanda, and recently published an article on the situation in World Politics Review, which is sponsoring this episode. So about World Politics Review, it is an online magazine that provides uncompromising analysis of critical global trends to give policymakers, business people, and academics the context they need to have the confidence they want. Now, the good people at World Politics Review are offering Global Dispatch's podcast listeners a two-week free trial and then a 50% discount on an annual subscription. To redeem this offer, go to about.worldpoliticsreview.com dispatches. And I'll also post a link on globaldispatchespodcast.com. On a personal note, I'm thrilled by this sponsorship. I've been a reader of theirs for years, one of their columnists. Richard Gowen is one of my favorite UN wonks out there. So I would encourage you all to get that free trial. And in the meantime, if you're new to the podcast, go to globaldispatchespodcast.com where you can peruse our archives, subscribe for free, and send me an email. I always love hearing from you. And here it is, my conversation with journalist Jonathan Rosen. The, the two main episodes of mass violence in Burundi's past, 1972 and 1993, were, were largely ethnically motivated. Fast forward to now, the protesters are, are drawn uh, from both the Hutu and, and Tutsi camps. The president, uh, Pierre Nziza, is a Hutu, but thanks to uh, a constitution that was implemented in 2005, which is based on a previous power-sharing agreement, there are spaces reserved for both Hutu and Tutsi at all levels of government within the military, within the police. The attempt really was to create a balanced government uh, whereby neither group would would feel excluded from power. And, and, and to a large degree, that has been successful. Well, so, so uh, is, I mean, is the fact that this isn't primarily an ethnic-based conflict that is primarily, you know, political, a sign of progress in a way? Yeah, absolutely, it is. And I think um, there have been efforts by the government, by the police, by some pro-government media to, to, to paint this as an ethnic conflict, to scapegoat Tutsi uh, for, for the protests that have been happening. But, but there have been Hutu protest leaders and, and some members of the opposition that are also Hutu that have said, wait a minute, this is not true. Hutu and Tutsi are protesting side by side. And, and I do think that's a sign that this, this current generation, um, uh, because most of the protesters are relatively young, have moved beyond the, the old ethnic antagonisms of their parents' generation. So yeah, absolutely, that is, 
is a sign of progress. So what is the political roots of this current crisis? What's going on? So it's, it, essentially, it's a it's a crisis over what what they everyone in Burundi refers to as the third mandate, the third presidential term for for Nurunziza. Um, so under the 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 Arusha uh, peace agreement of two thousand, which was meant to to end the civil war, although uh, a couple of rebel groups continued fighting after that. But but basically, the, this Arusha peace agreement underpins the current political system of Burundi. Uh, that is is clear that a, a president can only serve two five year terms. Uh, the constitution of Burundi, which is based on Arusha, essentially says the same thing, but it also specifies that the the president is elected by popular vote. And uh, Renziza has been president since 2005, but in his first term, he was chosen by the National Assembly rather than a popular vote. And the second time, he, he was chosen by popular vote. So his argument and his supporters' argument is that he should have one more term in office because but of that caveat. But, but the, Others the might argue that this is unconstitutional, right? Like yes. there is, it is of dubious constitutionality whether or not he can run for a third term. And, you know, the background is that in a lot of countries in that region, you have, you know, strong leaders who sometimes exceed their democratic mandate, right? So this is not an uncommon phenomenon. No, absolutely not. I think those uh, against the third mandate uh, also have a very solid argument in that, that they point to the Arusha Agreement as really being the underpinnings of the of the, the post-Civil War democratic Burundi. And, and that has clearly been violated. Uh, one one interesting note is that the Constitutional Court about a week ago uh, actually upheld the legality of a third term, but the vice president of the court fled to Rwanda, where he claimed asylum, and announced that the other judges had been uh, planning to, to vote against the third term, but had been coerced and had received death threats. And, and so all of that just gave a bit more ammo to the to the protesters, uh, even though the court ultimately upheld the, mm -hmm. the legality so, of the third term. So this is not just, though, a, a political crisis. It's becoming a humanitarian crisis because, you know, a large number of Burundians, and it seems to be only increasing, are fleeing the country, right? I mean, why are they afraid of, of political violence? I mean, is it just this history of ethnic conflict that's causing families to want to, to flee the country? Yeah, so I mean, here... Is, is where the ethnic issue starts to come into play. Because the Burundians were fleeing even before the protests started in Bujumbura. So um, the, the, the protests began at the end of April uh, when uh, Nurunziza accepted the party's nomination for a third mandate. Um, but prior to that, Burundians, mainly from the north of, of the country, had been fleeing to Rwanda really since the end of March. And uh, I... I interviewed a number of them uh, about a month ago now, but before the before the crisis started, and and they 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 told me that they'd been receiving threats from members of a group known as the Mbonerakure, which is the youth group of the ruling CNDD FDD party, which also is the, pre group, the president's party, which is the president. Yes, party. the president, the youth group of the president's party, who've, according to a UN investigation, according to numerous uh, members of Burundian civil society have over the last several years been armed by the government and in some ways almost fastened into to a militia 
that critics allege have carried out a large number of politically motivated killings across the country. What's been happening according to the civilians that have fled the country is that the Mbonere Kure have been going around threatening anyone they perceive to be opponents of the third term, opponents of the president. It could be because they have ties to, to an opposition group, or in some cases uh, it, it could be because they are Tutsi. Even though this is not an ethnic conflict, there are reports that the Mbonerakure have been chanting slogans, warning uh, people that they could face similar consequences to 1993, which is when a large number of Tutsi were killed by Hutu civilians. Um, there were also Hutu killed by the, by the Tutsi, then Tutsi army. But so it, it, essentially, a number of the, the people that have been fleeing our Tutsi. I mean, this just as, sounds like to, yeah. be, to be like a, a witch's brew of, of a really terrible situation where you have a political crisis overlaid with ethnic tensions and the presence of a militarized youth wing. Um, so I, I guess it's no wonder that people are fleeing in, in such numbers right now. Like, how bad could this get? Uh, what is the nightmare scenario? It's it, it's it's still hard to say. It, 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 at this point, I, I find it a bit encouraging that it hasn't gotten worse uh, already. There have been about 20 people killed, um, but there's no sign that the Mbonner Akure have been given the green light to, to start killing. But they if they were given that green yeah, light, if, they if, could if they probably were, be very efficient at it, right? Yeah, they, they would be. It it could get very bad. And, and I, I mean, in, in some ways there are parallels to the, the Interhamwe, uh, the, the civilian group in Rwanda in 1994 that yeah, the, carried the out military. much of the genocide. The, yes. Yeah. The, the, the parallels are appropriate. I don't, I don't think, uh, this, this group is quite as extreme. There are some more moderate members of Mbonerakure. They're, they're, they're not a monolithic group. Um, not all of them are armed, presumably not all of them are radicalized, and there is not a, a grand plan by forces within the government to exterminate all Tutsi in Burundi or all political opponents of the president. I think that there, there could be selective killings, and it could be a very grave situation, but this is not, not going to be a genocide. But, but it's probably fair to say that the presence of this group um, is sort of inimical to the idea of a free and fair election, uh, even in, in June, right? Like, does Absolutely. anyone believe that, that the president's going to face a serious challenge? At this point, it, 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 first of all, it's not clear if the election will even happen. The number of opposition groups and, and uh, representatives of the international community have been, been calling for a delay in the polls. Uh, but, but if there were... Uh, an election, yeah, I think the, the, the presence of Mbonerakure in every village, on every hill in the country, um, certainly would intimidate voters to, to back the ruling party. Can we talk a bit about the president? Who is the president? Where does he come from? And what, what has his rule thus far been like? Yeah, so uh, Nziza is he's a former university lecturer in physical education. Um, gym, gym teacher turned president. He's a gym teacher turned president, and, and he's in some ways today he's best known uh, because he's a he's a soccer fanatic, and he even has his own soccer team uh, where he allegedly is the leading goal scorer, even though he's fifty one years old. 
he joined the the CNDD FTD when it was a, a rebel group during the, the the Civil War. There's a story uh, that's told that he he was a, a student at the time, and the then Tutsi dominated military had massacred a group of students at his university, and this he, he narrowly escaped death. And this experience convinced him to join the movement and fight for what he considered to be the liberation of Burundi. Uh, so he ended up rising through the ranks of the the CNDD FTD, which initially was a holdout for the the peace deal uh, negotiated at Arusha in 2000, but later uh, signed a ceasefire agreement with the government in 2003, which paved the way for elections in 2005. And by that point, the, the CNDD FTD had been become a political party, and he was named the, the candidate and was chosen as, as president. Burundi, under his rule, though not necessarily a paragon of liberal democracy, I mean, it's fair to say, right, it did experience a period of moderate growth and also stability. It, it's probably most extended and prolonged period of stability, you know, since since the Civil War, right? Absolutely. And in, and in some ways, you have to give Nuranziza credit for that. Um, because if you look at the nature of his government, it's composed of former enemies. The army was cobbled together between rebels and the former Burundian army, which was largely Tutsi. So there's a fairly good ethnic balance in the army now. But yeah, it, it, the country ha has until now been upheld as a, as a successful model of peace building. That said, uh, from, from the start, it's been clear that his regime has, has not abandoned the use of, of, of violence to further its own hold on power. And I remember um, the story not, not probably like a couple of years ago where he was you know, fearful of political opposition against him to the point where he was banning jogging clubs for fear that they might be covers, right, for, for political opposition. So he's not yeah, necessarily I, a Democrat, not, not even close to it. No, 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 he's not. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a fighter turned president, like many presidents in this region. I think that's something people, people often forget. Um, so in, in your piece in World Politics Review, you sketch out one possible disastrous scenario in which the army, which, which you, know, you say to this point has been a guarantor of stability uh, in, in the country, splits perhaps even along ethnic lines. How likely do you see that scenario as, as happening? Essentially, until now, uh, the army has remained neutral, but has been perceived to be at least accepting of the protesters and, and has, in many cases, protected protesters from the police. Is viewed to be under the tight control of Renziza and, and those close to him. The Minister of Defense uh, has re repeatedly butted heads with the president uh, and in the past has attempted to... Uh, disarm the monarch, or at least get permission to do so, and has pushed back. He's not exactly in the same camp as the president, but there are a number of other high-ranking generals uh, and and members of Burundian intelligence that are quite firmly in the Nuranziza camp. In theory, this is this is quite dangerous. About. Uh, a week or 10 days ago, the Minister of Defense issued a statement calling on the government to, to respect the Constitution and, and respect the spirit of the Arusha Peace Agreement. And, and people interpreted that in different ways. But, but one interpretation is that, that if things continue to get out of hand, the army could possibly stage a coup. Um, and I think that re remains a possible 
scenario. The, the danger with that, though, is that the, those high-ranking generals that are still loyal to the president could resist and you could, you could potentially see uh, fighting break out within the army. And in that's, that situation, uh, I don't really see any, any way that the Mbarakure would not also mobilize on the side of the pro-Nurenziza faction. And then you have and, a full-scale civil war. It, then you have a full-scale civil war. So far, what are the regional implications of this instability, particularly in Rwanda, uh, neighboring Rwanda, which is hosting, I think at this point, some 60,000 refugees? What political consequence might be felt in Kigali from instability in neighboring Burundi? Yeah, well, Rwanda's obviously watching this very closely because historically, political events in Rwanda and Burundi have always had repercussions across the border. I, I mentioned before um, that in 1993, Burundi's first democrat, democratically elected president was assassinated by Tutsi hardliners. The, the, the president was a Hutu. And, and that event had a profound effect on Hutu radicals in, in Rwanda who, who were in the midst of fighting a Tutsi insurgency. Ultimately, that radicalization had a, had a key role in the Rwandan genocide um, about six or seven months after the assassination in Burundi. And there's several other examples throughout the past where, where uh, one country had, has had a profound destabilizing effect on, on, on the other. Certainly, if, if this continues to escalate along ethnic lines, which isn't, isn't a given, even, even if the, the violence worsens. But if it does, uh, I think you could potentially see an intervention uh, by, by Rwanda uh, because it, the Rwandan government is, is led by a, a, a Tutsi-dominated regime. And it is uh, very wary of any sort of violence in its own backyard, but particularly violence against Tutsi. If Rwanda were to intervene, though, I think personally it, it, it would only make things worse and it would contribute to the further escalation of the, the, the ethnic dimension of the conflict uh, because uh, it, it would be easy fodder for the, the government to, to depict the Rwandan troops as Tutsi invaders. And in, in, the, in the DRC, uh, where the Rwandan military has intervened multiple times, either directly or through proxy militias, in the name of protecting Tutsi, ultimately Tutsi living there have suffered the consequences and have probably been, been put in more danger by the Rwandan intervention. What can the international community do at this point to keep a lid on the conflict and keep a lid on, on the crisis? I mean, you know, I know the United States, for one, was pushing the president to avoid um, you know, undertaking actions of dubious constitutionality, yet he seemed to ignore those warnings. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, What pressure might be applied to the president in particular to keep a lid on things? Yeah, I mean, th- there have been various statements made by different governments and multi- multilateral bodies. The um, Belgium, uh, who is the, the former colonial power, recently announced it was cutting about $6 million of aid uh, that was meant for the elections and also for support of the police, which have uh, been the main cause of the violence so far. Uh, the U.S. has threatened sanctions and travel bans, but none of this has, in my opinion, has had 
had much of an effect. And it's, it's not clear that the international community can really do much at this point, but, but if, if the situation gets worse, there, there certainly could be grounds for some sort of uh, peacekeeping intervention, uh, either through the UN or the African Union. But uh, in, in terms of putting, putting pressure on Nziza to step down, I think that's going to be very tough. And uh, I think the regional governments, particularly Rwanda, probably have a powerful voice in this. Uh, and they've offered their own statements, but there hasn't been really a, a cohesive regional response. All right. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. This was very helpful. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, obviously, a very fast-moving situation in Burundi. By the time I'm recording this outro, there are reports of a coup attempt. Uh, so we'll see where that leads, but I know I am more equipped to understand what's happening in Burundi now that I've spoken with Jonathan Rosen. So thank you all for listening. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to subscribe if you have not already done so. It's free. You can get the app also free. Subscribe on iTunes and check out our robust archives of interviews on topical global issues and with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries. Bye.